I was thinking, well, you know, it, it's going to come back together. And the day that I turned the turned down a road, and there were like 20 cars coming at me, honking at me. And I was going, what are all those idiots honking for? And it's like, oh, it's me. I turned down the wrong way on a wrong way on a one-way street. It's at that point where I realized I got to do something. This is kind of life or death, literally. John, welcome to the podcast. We're, again, so thrilled to have you on as just huge proponents of uh, of cold therapy in general. Um, and we, we'd love to just start off with a quick introduction and uh, what you're most known for. All right. Well, thank you, Bruce. Thank you, Nick. I appreciate you guys having me on your show here on your podcast. Um, what I'm most known for is uh, really in the do-it-yourself or DIY space, I help people create cold plunges. Yes, you absolutely do. This is <laughs> basically the the Bible. And I'm somebody where, and Nick, maybe you probably don't don't go this route, but no. And I was going to say for those listening, Bruce is holding up a copy of John's book. So yeah, so, so I, I literally wrote the book on DIY cold plunges. So that's that is true. yes, yeah. <laughs> that's a great intro. That sounds fantastic. Yeah. yeah, and and so you know we'll get into the genesis of of how the book came to be and and what really motivated you to do that. I guess could you share a little bit about you know. What was your relationship with the cold? Was it always something that you were just, uh, you know, you just had this knack for getting into uncomfortable situations? No, that was definitely not me. I was, uh, I grew up in Austin, Texas, and we had this natural spring-fed swimming pool there, which is kind of like the sacred jewel of Austin. And um, I have hated that body of water since I was a little kid. It's, it maintains a temperature of about 68 to 71 degrees year-round. And I would get in there as a kid and just, it, it would be so shockingly cold that I absolutely hated it. And growing up, I thought, well, you know, all my friends, everybody loves it. Uh, I'll go down there, but then I would get in and it was still the same thing. And, uh, but you couldn't say that out loud because people would just, you know, not want to be your friend if you hated Barton Springs. And so, um, no, I hated the cold. If it dropped below, literally below 60 degrees Fahrenheit outside, I would put on thermal underwear and I would pull up my socks so people <laughs> see it poking out from underneath my jeans. I was terrified that someone in high school would see my thermal underwear poking out. I was such a wimp to the cold. Um, so, no, it was not something that I enjoyed beforehand. Well, you know, it's funny because Nick is originally from Chicago, so I feel like me now living in Austin or Leander, uh, right outside, I'm very familiar with Barton Springs, uh, yeah. where I feel like that's just par for the course for, that's, that's probably his bath water. Right. <laughs> well, now, yeah, when we turn on the tap out here, it's like, uh, what's your cold water? Take a cold shower. Well, in the summer, it's 80 degrees coming out of the cold tap. So that's yep. that's my idea of cold, or it was previously. You know, now Barton Springs is not even cold enough. So it's uh, it's been an interesting transformation along the way. Yeah. Absolutely. And and John, what got you started in the the true cold water? Could you talk about how you know how how did this enter into your life? Sure. Well, it started uh, a friend, uh, or even more of an acquaintance, uh, invited me to this workshop from this guy that was coming into town. His name was had this weird name, Wim Hof, and I said, "What's that?" And she said, "Well, this guy, uh, you know, I know you've you've done yoga before, and you're into breathing, so like he teaches this breathing thing in cold water immersion." And I said, "Cold water immersion." 
how much is this thing? And, and back then in 2013, it was like $300 to spend two days with Wim Hof. <laughs> and uh, um, you can't do that anymore. But um, not said, why, right? why would I spend $300 to go get into a, you know, tub filled with ice that does not sound like my idea of a good time i uh, and i argued with her it's like you know, it, it wasn't just no it was a no with a lot of story and a lot of charge around it and i almost didn't go but there was so much charge around it that i thought you know there might be something here for me and so i went and uh, it was an amazing process. It was an amazing experience. It was absolutely miserable getting into that thing the first time, but getting out the way I felt was very different than I'd ever experienced uh, from Barton Springs before. And um, it wasn't, you know, so I kind of got this idea of like the, the paradigm shift of, oh, cold water. I can have a different relationship with cold, but I really didn't have a way to practice it since we have such a warm climate here in Austin. And, you know, every once in a while, somebody would come through and I'd do an ice bath, but I just, I didn't feel like I had a pressing need to be in the cold water. And uh, it wasn't until a few years, really about a couple of years later that uh, the need became apparent. And, and yeah. I don't know if that's a separate question to ask, but... Um, <laughs> That's really, that next thing is what really started my practice. And so that might be, we, we might be on the same track because I, you know, again, you've, uh, you've changed so many pieces of my, you know, you know, I guess my recreational activities. Uh, I personally love hopping into my cold plunge. And I also had the same thought of, I'm not going to keep going out and buying a bunch of bags of ice and filling up my tub. That's just going to get expensive. Right. Um, and so you talk about, I believe it's sauna talk with Glenn. I draw a blank on his last name where you actually talked about insomnia as, as something yeah. that you had to deal with. And I'm, I'm curious if you could dive a little bit into that, because I think there's really good parallels into how you started with cold plunge. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So just to give a brief context of that, um, uh, I have a nine-year-old daughter who was born in 2013, just a few months after I saw Wim Hof, or maybe it was right around the same time. Everything's a little bit blurry from back then, but uh, she was born early. Uh, she was born at 27 weeks. Uh, she weighed one pound and 10 ounces. It was an emergency C-section, and we spent 121 days in a neonatal intensive care unit. And she came home with a feeding tube and required feeding every three hours around the clock for about the first, uh, I don't know, at least three, four, five months. And, um, you know, after that, we were slowly able to eliminate like the 3 a.m., the midnight and so on. But for about eight months, I was responsible for that midnight and that 3 a.m. feed on top of a full-time job that I had, a regular 8 to 5 or 8 to 6 or 7 to 7. <laughs> it was long hours, right, on a regular job. And um, what happened was because my sleep was so disrupted, um, I was I got really bad insomnia. So even when we were able to kind of get her on a little bit more regular schedule, my sleep didn't improve. And I, I was, uh, after two years of this, I was starting to get um, all these symptoms. I was getting agitated. I was irritable all the time. I was not a fun guy to be with. If people would say the littlest thing, I would get agitated or upset. People at work were kind of like, whoa, John, what's up with you? Um, and as we progressed into that year three, what started happening was um, I would be in the kitchen cutting vegetables and I would cut up my finger. Um, at some point I actually ran my thumb through one of those vegetable grinders and it was like I removed my thumbnail. And at the point, and so I started looking into different things for insomnia, but 
I wasn't real. I was thinking, well, you know, it, it's going to come back together. And the day that I turned the turned down a road, and there were like twenty cars coming at me, honking at me. And I was going, what are all those idiots honking for? And it's like, oh, it's me. I turned down the wrong way on a wrong way on a one way street. It's at that point where I realized I've got to do something. This is kind of life or death, literally, and it's my yeah. safety and everybody else's. So um, at that point, I started looking into all different kinds of things. I was uh, looking into biohacking. I did uh, all the sleep hack stuff where you black out the room. You put tape over every single little light. You check the EMFs. You sink the temperature down to cold. Uh, you know, I bought a room air conditioner, and I had to switch rooms because my partner at the time, she was like, "That's I, I can't sleep in that cold. Uh, so I was like, I had set up a, a little bed in my office. And um, I was doing that. I was doing, uh, gosh, neural feedback. I did cryotherapy. I was doing the chambers. I had an unlimited membership to that. I was doing uh, pulse electromagnetic field therapy, chiropractic, acupuncture, uh, you know, hypnotism, anything, anything, hot baths, like super hot baths, like 112 degrees Fahrenheit before bed. Nothing did the trick. The cryo chambers were helping me in the day get energized, but they weren't resetting my circadian rhythms. And when I called a friend who was a Wim Hof instructor, and I said, what can you tell me about the cold? Because I just, I, I, I'm desperate. I've got to do something. And she goes, you know what? You might try it. It's cold water before bed. And I said, before bed? No way, man. That's, that's what gives me energy. I can't, you know, before bed, I'll be up even worse. I'll get even worse sleep. And she goes, no, just try it and see what happens. And so I did. I, I About three hours before I went to bed, I went down, bought 100 pounds of ice and put it in the bathtub. And I got in there. Uh, I don't even think I measured the temperature, but I stayed in there for about a minute. And... Um, I got the best night's sleep I had had in three years. And so I thought, well, okay, some of those other things have helped, but let's see if it will work again. So I did the same thing a second night, and it worked a third night and a fourth night. And after the fourth night, I was convinced this is my solution. But just like you mentioned, hauling 100 pounds of ice gets expensive. It takes up time, and uh, it just, it's hard to fit into a busy schedule. So I knew there had to be another solution. So that's, when I, that's how I got, got started. Um, and I think that's a really good description of of insomnia, right? I think some of us, every now and then, of course, in college, right, there was, hey, take an Adderall to get through your finals. And for me, that's one of the reasons why I, I never took an Adderall a day in my life because I was up for three days. It sounded like this was going on for months. And, you know, I think you really did an excellent job of touching on like this isn't just affecting me personally at work. This is like potentially affecting my my life and others around me. Right. Wow. Um, That's fantastic. No, and and John, very much appreciate you sharing your your personal story. And uh, you know that's that's it. Really goes to show the power of cold plunge when you tried it against all these other you know hacks or other things that that right. worked and, and none of them worked. Um, right. Whatsoever. So that's, yeah, uh, that's... I say, I, I uh, yeah, I tried everything from Eastern to Western and everything in between. You know, I, I knew that the, the pharmaceuticals were going to just give me the illusion that I had a good night's sleep, but they weren't actually going to address the problem. And uh, which was really my circadian rhythms were all messed up. And uh, I even at one point hired a functional medical doctor and uh, he was giving me a lot of different herbs and none, none of it, none of it worked. 
And some of them made it worse. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And and so you you did this. You sit in the bathtub with the ice for four nights. Um, how did you then build it into like your daily routine from there? I guess let's go. There is the next phase. How, right. how did you build it into your routine? Exactly. Well, so what happened at that point? Um, I I just I knew that I couldn't keep up the ice thing, but just because it, it wasn't even so much the money, but it was so much like my schedule. You know, like driving down to the nearest convenience store and getting all the ice and loading the ice and driving down and unloading the ice and all of that was just, it was very frustrating to me. And so uh, I started looking online for a cold plunge. How do you build a cold plunger? Where do you buy a cold plunge? And at that time, uh, back, I guess it was early 2016 when I started looking into this, um, the only company, I only found two companies that had them. One was some company in Canada who made like these cedar lined hot tubs and they had a, a big old chiller and it was like $12,000 plus, you know, import taxes and shipping and then you had to find someone to build it and put it together and then uh there was another company in uh i believe it was in michigan and they were building they had a cold plunge they also sold hot tubs and they did like these japanese style soaking tubs but they're really super hot you know they're, they're hotter than the standard 104 that by law you have to keep it at and so um so i i almost bought one of their hot tubs but i thought no it's the cold water is really what's making it work but it was eight thousand dollars and i i just didn't have that in my budget at the time and so i I called up my friend again, and I said, uh, "Elizabeth, what 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 do you recommend, man? I, I can't I can't keep doing this ice, and uh, you know I can't move to Alaska." So um, she says, "Well, you know, I, I think I've heard of some people putting water in a chest freezer." And I thought, "Chest freezer? Oh, okay. Well, how does that work?" She goes, "I don't know anything about it. You know, get on the Wim Hof group and just search for it." I said, "Okay." So I did that, and I, sure enough, I found a few people who had put water in a chest freezer, but that was about all the information that was there. There were no details about it. So I thought, all right, well, some people are doing it. It'll work. So I went down, spent 700 bucks on a brand-new Whirlpool chest freezer and uh, filled it up with water. It took about four days to get it from 80 degrees in Austin down to about 48 degrees. And, um, and so on that fourth day, I was like, oh, I was so excited. So I went in, I got in there, and... Again, great night's sleep. I thought, okay, this is so awesome. Second day, same thing. Oh, this is awesome. Third day, I walked out, opened the lid, and there was rust seeping out of all of the seams. I thought, oh, my God, I've just killed a $700 chest freezer. So I drained it, dried it, and uh, and I started trying to figure out, like, well, how can I, you know, what, what needs to be done to get this? It chills the water, but what needs to be done so I don't kill the chest freezer? And that's really where it all got started. Um, and so I started, uh, I mean, I, I started looking into uh, how to build hot tubs. I started talking to plumbers. I started talking to freezer people, appliance repair people, um, electricians, um, pool people, hot tub people, repair people. You know, I, I, I went on a, just a, a path of trying to figure this out. You know, a lot of people in the construction industry. And so I kind of learned about sealants. And, and again, this was, this was a path over about a year of just really stupid, expensive mistakes. And after about a year, I finally got it dialed in. Um, but somewhere during that time, I asked a friend of mine uh, who was at that time an administrator on the Wim Hof page. I said, hey, can we start a separate Facebook page about this? Because it's all getting lost in all the, you know, the rest of that group. It had something like 50,000 people at the time. I think it's now over like 100, well over 100,000 people. And he goes, yeah, sure. I'll be your first member and you can post a link and that'll be cool. So I did that. Um, Gerald was the first one to sign up. And then uh, it kind of just grew from there. And all we were doing was like just trying to share, like, how can you best do this? And here's all the stupid mistakes I made. Here's what not to do. And that's really where it got started. So uh, 
that that that's that's what turned into my daily practice. Uh, well, it wasn't really daily, but it was it was a lot of like do this for a few days, and then something stupid it started leaking, or the water turned brown. I was like, oh no, you know. So it was just again that series of mistakes and just fixing it, and then going on to the next thing, noticing what didn't work, going on to the next thing, and just iterations until I finally got it dialed in. And so, Shout out to Gerald on uh, making sure uh, that 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 got lifted off because oh my gosh that is such a such a great Facebook group and and yeah. the one thing that I wanted to that that I was just listening to you now and then also listening to the, the podcast uh, Sauna Talk I'd love to just now I'm putting my business cap on uh, your your reasoning and then your just try this try that talk to this person. Walk me through. Have you always been like that? Has that always been your process? I don't know something, and I'm going to just headstrong go after every single details systematically to figure that out. Um, I think I've had uh, an inclination to do that. So I've got, um, you know, if we kind of get down to a conversation about values or core values, about what's most important and that's kind of a driving force for you, uh, there's been sort of a pattern in my adult life, at least, uh, for growth, which is learning new things, and then contribution. So anytime I could teach, you know, learn something and or do something and have a great experience about it, it's like, wow, how would I go about teaching this? And, uh, you know, I had a really um, fortunate experience uh, back in 1995 to take a speed reading class uh, from this lady who was in Austin at the time. And that class made such a huge difference for me. And I, and I told the lady, I called the owner, and I said, man, this was an awesome class, and I, I, I can't tell you how much it's helped me and everything else. And I wish I would have had this back when I was in school. <laughs> and, uh, and she goes, well, you want to be a teacher? I said, oh, we could do that? And so I started teaching these classes, and uh, it was really all about so, – so during that process, it wasn't just about speed reading, which is kind of a – it's kind of got a bad name, and there's a lot of bad uh, ways to go about it, which really wreck your enjoyment of reading. But um, this was a very different method. It actually allowed you to read for content and comprehension, very detailed, technical, difficult, collegiate-level material, and then take a test and actually pass it. It's not just skimming or anything else. But uh, for the 18 years that I did that, um, you know, off and on, some you know, I did it for a few years full-time and then for a few years part-time just teaching. Uh, the travel wore me out. Um, what happened was I, I kind of developed a passion for learning, and I started digging into, like, how do you learn how to learn more effectively? And it was just fun for me to learn stuff and figure it out. So, you know, if there was something that um, I thought, you know, wouldn't it be cool if, um, you know, uh, oh, hey, I've, you know, I just learned about, you know, uh, sitting is the new smoking, so you should have a stand desk. Oh, those things are like, at the time, like $4,000. You know what? I could do a DIY sit-stand desk. So I did a DIY non-electric, you know, I just, I built a desk, and I, built a little stand and I've got three monitor stands and mounted that on a piece of wood. So they're all adjustable up and down. So I've got this really cool sit stand desk. That's just ma manual, you know, manually operated with uh, levers and a little platform, you know, stuff like that. Just little, little things. Um, but yeah, it's just, <laughs> I sense a new Facebook group. Uh, maybe. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There's, there's actually a ton of DIY videos now on how to do sit stand desks. Um, yeah. I've seen them. I've seen some of them. <laughs> So, so it's just as important for you to not only figure out every avenue to learn it, it's equally as important for you to be able to teach it as well. Do you find yeah. that that is, they've always said that if you can teach it, then you know it. Is that sort of just subconsciously or is it, it sounds like um, there's just a, a, pa a passion, but also you understand the balance of both sides. Yeah, sort of. I, I think that there uh, that that is true 
or it can be true, and I think it's for, for people who are passionate about teaching and who really want a deep dive to have that understanding. Uh, for me, it, it is about really being able to understand first and have a practical experience of it before I just start sharing something. Um, you know, for the first probably, oh, I think it was probably for the first two or maybe three years I was teaching those speed reading classes. I was terrified that it was a scam and that maybe I was the only one who was getting, you know, and, you know, so I was kind of, I was really nervous in the, in the backdrop of, you know, I, when I was teaching, I was like, God, I hope this works. And, you know, then I'd get these good reviews and it'd be like, oh, good, it's working. You know? So I was kind of relieved. But, um, you know, there, there's, there's, I think, I think in school, uh, you know, many, it depends on what schools you went to, but I think in, um, this is kind of a, maybe an off topic conversation, but the, uh, you know, there's a lot of crit criticism of our educational system where you've got teachers that are kind of going through this checklist of things instead of really diving in to help students understand in a way that is, uh, relevant to them and that works with their style of learning. And so, um, it's, and they're just kind of going through the motions and it's unfortunate that that happens. And I'm not saying that all teachers are like that, but, um, you know, it's, uh, for me, that's important. <laughs> and I think the, the really good teachers out there want to have that deep understanding of what they're doing before they say, Hey, let's go teach people. Absolutely. And that's the beautiful thing about it. The teaching aspect, you went and, and, you know, were so passionate about cold plunges and how it helped your health that you then helped other people you know, circumvent the path you took, which was talking to plumbers and electricians and pool pool people. And that sounds like a lot of work. Um, certainly a lot yeah. less work than, you know, the reading your tips in the Facebook group or reading your book that you've written on, on how to, you know, how to make your own DIY cold plunge. Um, so let's, right. let's go into that. How would you, one thing that I'm, um, I struggle with is that I love this cold plunge routine habit protocol, whatever you call it, but I want to share it with, friends and family, and I find it hard to, how to get them started in it, right? Outside of going and hauling 100 pounds of ice, like how can people get started in this in, in the you know, lowest way possible? And if you want to touch maybe briefly on the, the chest freezer best, best practices or, you know, how one right. can go about, you know, what budget they should think about and, and how they can get into this. Yeah, absolutely. There's a wide range of budgets that uh, you can get into this, and uh, you don't have to. Sp I, I don't. I don't remember the exact number. It's been so long ago. Uh, seems like lifetimes ago. But I spent somewhere between three thousand to thirty-eight hundred dollars getting my final iteration dialed in, and there were some very stupid, very expensive mistakes along the way, and. Um, you know, I would have, anyway, so, so getting it all dialed in, uh, I would say the base model that someone could start with, if you don't want to have to haul a bunch of ice, uh, I call it the caveman. And it's just the most simple, basic, and, and I didn't even come up with that name. Someone in my group said, you should call this the caveman. And I said, or they said, you should call it the Flintstones. And I said, I think that's trademark and I don't want to get a lawsuit. So how about we call it the caveman? So, um, so we, so basically what that is, is you just get a chest freezer and you buy uh, any kind of tub. You could use your bathtub if you don't have room, or you could buy a little stock tank or a little kiddie pool, and uh, you get a bunch of uh, one to three gallon containers, and you fill those with water and put them in the chest freezer and freeze it. And you just figure out how much ice you need to lower the water from your starting temperature to your target temperature, and you just put those in that container. And so you can pick up a used chest freezer on, you know, Lion or Facebook Marketplace uh, for free or 100 or 200 or 300 dollars and so that plus you know a little tiny pool or bathtub for 100 bucks and you know you've got a cold plunge that works that's fantastic and i actually have a question on that topic as somebody who has a lot of family in chicago is there anybody who uses like winter time in a colder place to just throw a, a kiddie pool in the backyard maybe with some some chemicals to make it not freeze or, or you know get nasty yeah. is, is that a thing as well 
Yeah, it is. Absolutely. That's a great way to do it. I mean, really, uh, it, it, the, the absolute most awesome, wonderful cold plunge in the world is, well, I'll say that. The, 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 I'll, I'll have two answers to this. The most awesome cold plunge in the world is out in nature. You know, I've seen these pictures, these guys that have to dig to the, cut through the ice and they get in. And that is that is just, there's something about being out in naturally cold water in the, in the winter that's just a whole different level of experience. That said, most people in the world don't have access to that. And so... Um, this, the next best cold plunge, and maybe even the, the best cold plunge, is the one that you can use on a regular basis. Because what we know is that the benefits come from not doing this occasionally. The greatest benefits come from having a consistent practice. And that's true for a lot of things. So, um, so um, but yeah, out in cold, I mean, we've, we've got people that will just buy a stock tank and put it outside, and they'll pack through the ice. If you want to do one simple thing for that, buy a stock tank heater. Um, you know, farmers and ranchers have livestock that need water during the winter months, and they have these little heaters that you just throw in there, and it'll heat up the water and prevent it from icing over. So um, that's one way to go about it. Wow. Yeah, that's – I love that you walk through that because when when you're thinking of – so when we're walking through the, the actual cold plunge, um, what are you – like, what are the myths that you – that you found very early on. So you, you said that you were able to get the best night's sleep. So that's where it started. So that's one myth popped because I thought the very same thing. Why would I want to do this right before I went to bed? Right. And I also right. found that I had an amazing sleep. Are you still doing that today? Uh, before bed, almost never. Um, and, I, and I think there is a, a bit of a timing thing. So what I did find uh, during the, the trial and error was that if I – did a cold plunge about three hours before bedtime. There's this kind of this magic window, maybe three and a half to maybe two hours and 45 minutes. Um, that's kind of pushing it. You know, I would get a great night's sleep. If I did that within about two or two and a half hours of going to bed, I was up all night long. And there's, and there's, yeah. some, physiolo there's, there's some physiology behind that. And I would suggest, uh, you know, for people to check out Huberman Labs, that podcast number 66, he'll go into more detail, like what's going on in your brain. Um, that's a good, he's got a lot of science that uh, could be helpful for understanding that. <laughs> yeah, Nick, yeah, I see Nick's grin. He's a big, <laughs> we're all big Huberman fans. Oh, we're big, not, big Huberman fans. Yeah, not, not quite as much as Nick is. That, awesome. that, well, that one's pretty simple. Your body actually wants to be cool at night when it yes. sleeps. Yeah. And yeah. it's counterintuitive because when you go in the cold plunge, obviously you're making your yeah. body cold. But that's like putting a, a wet rag on your thermostat at home. What's that going to yes. do? It's going to turn on the heat. It's going to heat so, it up. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah, that makes that makes perfect sense. Um, anything anything else that you've seen on, again, is this is part of your daily um, routine? Um, first, curious kind of when in the day you do it and how long you do it for. And secondly, yeah. like the other daily effects you see aside from the sleep. Right. Well, what I found is uh, my daily routine varies. So I've been, I've been doing a... Con well, I say I started my practice in 2017. That's when I got the chest freezer. And uh, my practice is not daily. Um, what I do is I kind of just find when I need to be in the cold. So I, I will cold plunge somewhere between two to maybe five times a week. And that's what works really well for me. I found that first thing in the morning is absolutely best for me. If I uh, wake up, get into a shower, and then go get into the cold plunge, that is the best. Um, if I if I get in the shower and then go eat breakfast, it's almost never going to happen. <laughs> uh, but it, but I've also understood that it's better to cold plunge on an empty stomach, um, except for maybe coffee, which you know Huberman also talks about. But um, so for me, uh, the range really of my practice uh, for for the most part, I would say I'll practice right around 43 degrees Fahrenheit. However, 
uh, and I'll do that for maybe three minutes. Okay, that's that's a that's an average practice for me. However, I've also experimented just really in this last couple of years. Uh, there have been it's been interesting in the Facebook group just seeing all these different people reporting these different results at different temperatures. So I think the uh, in answer to both my daily practice and or regular practice and to one of the big myths is that you must cold plunge at a certain temperature for a certain amount of time, and that's you know people get very uh, dogmatic about <laughs> the, what what they read somewhere with time and temperature. And what I've seen is that, um, you know, it's led me to this exploration of uh, bio-individuality. And we all have different genetic makeups. We all have different stressors. We have different uh, muscle build. We have different uh, health and fitness routines, different diets. Uh, you know, how well did we sleep the night before or not? What do we eat? What do we drink? You know, all of that can impact how we respond to the cold. And uh, there's a lady right now in my group who is suffering from autoimmune disease. And uh, she she finds, and she did a lot of experimenting with this, 64 degrees for 30 minutes puts her, wow. out, of all, puts her out of all of her symptoms. If she goes down to 62 degrees, her symptoms flare up. If it's warmer than 64, she doesn't get any benefit. So the cold wow. makes it worse, you know, if it goes too cold. Uh, and then if we've got people that are like just, you know, hardcore and they're, and they're trying to put salt in the water to get it down to 28 degrees <laughs> so they can go sub-freezing. And that's a very small number of people. But, you know, it's like you do you. And so I, I think, though, that people people want – I think it's good to have guidelines, right? And, and Huberman, that lab, that podcast is a great place to start with. But I think one thing that he doesn't address in there that I think – or maybe he kind of – nuances it, but he doesn't really come out and say it, is that people need to find what works for them, and they need to learn to tune into their own body, trust their body, pay attention to what's going on in the water and how they respond afterwards, and find out what works best, and change the practice as needed. Play around with it. You know, So uh, about, I don't know, six months ago, I, I put my water back up to 55 just to see what would happen. And um, eh, it didn't do much for me. And I, I stayed in for 30 minutes, and it was like, eh, okay. You know, I didn't really notice anything. And so, you know, then I, then I gradually worked it down just to see what would happen. And, uh, you know, I wound up at 36 and I found out that, uh, you know, 42, 43 just seems to work better for my body. But um, I started playing around with a little bit more time, you know, just so, so at, at some point I was at like 44 degrees and I was doing like uh, eight or 10 minutes. And I found that at 42 degrees, just a couple of degrees to colder, you know, it only, you know, I could really kind of max out right around maybe five minutes. So, but usually it's somewhere between three, three minutes, four minutes, maybe. And uh, what I find is that when I do that first thing in the morning, my whole day just seems to go better. I mean, uh, you know, I, I have more energy. I feel less stressed out about things and there's just a, there's more mental clarity. So um, it's, it's an amazing practice. <laughs> yes. To and thank you for sharing that, uh, that, that story of, um, the person who's in your Facebook group. I mean, that is, that is incredible. And, you know, I also, I, I've been on the, or I've read the book and then also looked on the, the Facebook page to the advanced cold exposure, right? Dunking your head underwater. Is that something that you practice? Is that something that you yeah. tried and then you also found like, Hey, that's just too much. Or are you finding a lot of benefit out of that? Well, uh, one thing that I found recently, I did a, uh, a workshop. It was called a, it was a cold and breath workshop. Um, I don't know about three or four months ago with a lady here in. Uh, she's in Austin. She's based in Austin, but she's she's kind of a uh, got a name in the biohacking community. But she's also put like three thousand people through cold water, and um, she initially was certified with like Laird Hamilton, but she's got a bunch of 
like every single fitness <laughs> certification you can imagine. She does that and health coaching and biohacking and all this crazy stuff. So she's an amazing lady. And um, so I did her two-day workshop. And one of the cool things I learned in there was about the benefit of getting water, like, you know, first of all, up to your neck. And if you can get your cheeks underwater, even more so. And there's just something about having more of your body underwater that helps make it make you acclimate faster. And so uh, my hands were my biggest limitation. Okay, so my fingers would just get really cold, and uh, for the most part, I keep them out of uh, the water. I just even stopped putting them in just because they would get too cold quick, and it would it would kind of just throw off the whole rest of it. So. Um, once I learned this thing about the neck and the cheeks, though, I decided to get in, like all in, and with my hands, and even at all those other temperatures I was telling you, totally fine. Because there's just something about having more of your body underwater. And when I started doing the head dunks, first of all, like right off the bat, I mean, immediately get in, get the head under, and, uh, you know, and even not just a quick dunk, but uh, a little bit of a longer, you know, just at least a 15, maybe 20 second breath hold. Uh, and that is an advanced thing for anybody else watching. If you're going to do breath holds, make sure you've got somebody else there spotting you or watching you to make sure it's done safely. Um, I found the whole, my acclimation just happened a lot faster. Um, my friend Kristen, she, she calls it the turnover. It's that point where you're going from like, ah, ah, to, ah, I'm here and it's okay. And so it, it happened almost immediately when I, when I do the head dunk in the beginning. So I really like the head dunk. And I, I do, I don't say I do it every day, but um, sometimes I misplace my earplugs. Another thing is if you're going to do head dunks, wear earplugs. It's a consistent practice. Surfer's ear is a thing. And that cold water getting into your ears is not good for you. So get some good earplugs. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you on the head dunks. I, uh, I practice yeah. that as part of my daily routine, and I, I get it. If you want a, a fun adding anecdote, because we have a, like a, a decent size, you know, like in ground, uh, in ground cold plunge. One of my fellow cold plungers is a emergency room doctor. He brings a snorkel and goes underwater completely for up to ten minutes at a time. Um, wow! And he claims that you know he sees much greater benefit, and and that is that is certainly a thing. Um, right. So very very interesting. Question on breathing yeah. for you in the cold plunge. Mm. Do you do you do any you know? type of breathing or, or breath holds or anything while in the cold plunge? Yeah, I do not. Uh, and it's not recommended. Um, cold, so what can happen is um, if you're doing breath holds in the, in the water, again, if you're going to do that, really, you shouldn't do that. But if you're going to do that, I say shouldn't, but uh, I, I try to stay away from shoulds. But if you're going to do that, uh, have somebody there spotting you. If you're doing hyperventilation and a breath hold, it's possible to pass out. And some people have died from drowning uh, while doing breath holds in the water. And so um, it can also be a blackout situation. So you know if that happens, uh, you absolutely need to make sure that somebody is there. So safety really is of the utmost importance. And I think what happens is there's, there's people out there that do want to push the edge and um, they, they do that, but they're putting themselves at risk if they're not having somebody there to spot and be safe. So typically what I'll do in terms of breathing is all I'm doing is very slow, deep in and outs, and I'll try to just slow my breath as much as I can. Um, and I find like below 42, it's almost impossible. You know, if, I, if I'm at 48 or higher, you know, I can get down to where I'm doing like one inhale and one exhale every like 20 or 40, like 40 seconds. 
Like wow. that's one breath cycle of 40 seconds. Uh, I almost got to a minute one time. It was like 55 seconds. Like, oh, this is awesome. If I drop below that, um, yeah, it's just, I can't do it. <laughs> it's just you no know, amount of practice gets me beyond maybe maybe 20 seconds, right? Or 10 seconds in, 10 seconds out because it's just so cold. Uh, and I, I, I gave it up. Maybe I didn't practice it long enough. But um, I found just really focusing on slow, deep breathing um, is really best for me. And, um, you know, but I think people need to find what works for them. But just, again, it's not recommended to do hyperventilation or uh, extended breath holds in the water. Really powerful. And I'm curious, you, you said earlier that your routine, typically right first thing in, in the morning, that's usually the best for you. Tell me, and it usually helps you throughout the rest of the day. Your day just feels so much better. Now, mm-hmm. talk to me about, you know, you're having a bad day. You haven't done your plunge yet. Yeah. Have you, have you figured out a, like a little rhythm? Like for instance, me, I've done where if I'm really stressed out, I'm breathing through my chest. I find doing five minutes of meditation, yeah. um, doing just five minutes of, of stretching and then jumping into the cold plunge for five minutes. I yeah. walk out and it's, I'm a completely different human. Now, mm-hmm. that's not directly in the morning, but that's something where instead of me having and I like that, it seems like you also have holistic approaches to to things, not not going directly for, you know, something that a doctor's prescribing just right out of the gate. Right. Um, do right. you have something that's similar or a, a similar technique? Yeah, I have a few go-to things, uh, and this is, and this kind of goes back to uh, the question you had earlier about what are the myths of cold plunging, and I think one of the myths, uh, and this would be really true for almost anything, is that it is the fix. Now, in my case, it was the fix. I think that's kind of an anomaly, though, and I think you know, when I talk to people and start asking more questions, when I hear people that are overcoming, uh, like, chronic depression, suicidal thoughts, anxiety, stress, autoimmune disease, all of these different things, um, they're not just cold plunging. They're doing... They're not just breathing and cold plunging. They're, they are doing other things. And so it's kind of a, you know, a cumulative or synergistic effect that comes together. So what I find in, um, in my day, if I can, I will actually go and get into the cold water. Uh, if it's accessible, uh, I do find, if I'm feeling like super stressed out, there's nothing like jumping into the cold water for a couple of minutes to just kind of bring that down. Um, if I, if it's not always, uh, accessible or if I just don't feel in the rhythm, sometimes I just feel like, hey, man, I just can't be in the cold water right now. Uh, and I've got to listen to that to my body. And it's, it's kind of an interesting dance on that. Um, for me, the biggest piece, and it took me probably th- two or three years of cold plunging to really get this down, is to trust my real intuition and not the ego. Because the ego will tell you one of two things, either stay in longer or get out, or maybe it's three things, get out or don't do it at all. <laughs> and yeah. learning to to distinguish that between what your body really needs in that moment is, is really an art and uh, it does take time. But yeah, I've got some other things. I find uh, going outside, you know, getting my feet in the bare ground, getting my face in the sun, going for a walk, bouncing on a rebounder, you know, uh, a really good quality rebounder is awesome. Um, you know, I've got a yoga swing hanging upside down, you know, doing some gentle stretching and, you know, just uh, literally getting a change of perspective. <laughs> if you don't have a yoga swing, you do a headstand. I mean, there's, uh, you know, Wim teaches that, Wim Hof. And, uh, but yeah, there's, those are deep breathing is always a good thing. You know, um, I've, I found that, uh, sitting meditation for me in the morning, um, I can do about five minutes of that. I'm one of those people where I found that I'm more, the, uh, uh, a meditation for me, better meditation for me is a moving meditation with dancing or, or just some kind of, you know, rhythmic movement 
or even just shaking. You know, shaking is a really good one. Just to, if your if your body is feeling stressed out, start shaking. You know, that, there's there's some really good stuff from uh, Peter Levine that talks about you know shaking and how that can get trauma. You know, help release that or prevent things from sticking in there. <laughs> so yeah. uh, the other one of my go-tos is uh, I do tapping. I did EFT for a while and uh, I was actually, you know, doing that for like money for a, a very short period of time. But I, I learned about these different, you know, pressure points and you know, how you can tap on these points and it can help relieve stress and other, all kinds of other crazy stuff. But uh, that's also interesting. I, yeah. Man, I, I love it. I once did, uh, are you familiar with Kundalini yoga? I am. Yes. So yeah, I've, I've, I can only say that I've tried that once. I was not prepared, but I will say that I walked out of there and I felt significantly better. So I do hear yeah. you in terms of the movement, uh, peace and just being one with your body. So, right. um, you know, I, I guess, I guess because you were able to find your fix, um, I look at the cold plunge as a, I tell people this all the time. And it's a great conversation starter. Like, yeah, I built a cold plunge. What do you mean you built a cold plunge? And it's like something to talk about. Um, but I also look at it like a life lesson, right? I'm doing something uncomfortable. Like no matter how great I get at the cold, it's still uncomfortable. Yes. Um, is that how you view it as as well in terms of, you know, you going and you you developing your practice? Yeah, I, I would say that uh, for me, most of the time, I don't really enjoy being in the cold water. And on some days, there's a lot of resistance to getting into it, uh, especially where, you know, if I got sick, I got COVID, you know, a year and a half, whenever long ago it was. And uh, it took me about a month to really fully land from that. And uh, during that time, my cold practice got just went out the window. And it probably took me another, maybe another four weeks before I kind of got back into it. And I think part of it was I was just you know, I was scared, but there was also resistance to being in the cold. And it's like, uh, for me, it's almost, uh, it's almost like every day it's a reset. You know, I, I need to remember how important it is to get in the, get in the, not every day. Again, I don't have a, a daily practice, but when I, when I do have the regular practice, it's a reminder that now I do need to keep regular with this and I do need to listen to my body and uh, make that decision to do the hard thing regardless. Um, you know, and there are some times like, I, I don't say this happens for me. Um, you know, and I, it's, it's you kind of just find that, that, bliss sinful euphoric state while you're in the water and that's maybe happened a couple of few times a handful of times uh, i find that happens almost regularly or more regularly with me when i'm doing the breathing the breath work and those you know the hyperventilation with the extended hold on the out uh, that it's very easy for me to find you know states of just complete bliss and euphoria <laughs> on the breath uh, not so much in the cold but i can tell you when i get out of the cold that's where it's like okay you know this is not just you know, there's kind of like this distinction between, hey, this feels good, and like, hey, I'm in this, just this state right now that uh, it's like a whole other level. And it's not a, it's not like being at the peak of a roller coaster. It's more of like this solid level, just boom, and uh, and not even really boom, but more of just, it's 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 an even keel, you know. And the, and then and you know the Nick, the brain science behind it. I mean, it's this amazing thing. You got the endorphins, the norepinephrine, the epinephrine, and the serotonin and the dopamine without the cortisol. So mm -hmm. it's like this, that's a magic thing. And there's very few things that do that without releasing cortisol. So it's, um, it's, yeah. a, it's, and if, a, if it's there were a pill that, that created those same neurochemical effects, it would probably be the most widely prescribed, uh, you know, medicine or one of the, um, right. but you actually mentioned something that brings me to my next question. You mentioned how you feel immediately after the cold plunge. Mm -hmm. What are your, 
I guess, views or protocols on warming up. Do you warm up naturally? Have you tried doing a sauna? Do you, uh, you yeah. know, exercise after? Talk to us about that. Yeah, I've, I've done a lot of different things. And uh, just because of the nature of my schedule, what I found is, uh, you know, I think it, someday maybe I'll have the systems put in place <laughs> that, uh, you know, I can actually have an extended time to where it's actually more of a, uh, a practice. My, I, my mindfulness practice is getting in. So I have more of a very specific ritual for getting into the cold water, being in the cold water, and then when I get out. And then as soon as I get out, boom, I'm into my day. Um, I, and I just let my body warm up. And uh, unless, you know, I've sometimes, again, I, I've kind of changed things around sometimes. And sometimes I'll find that I've, I've, I haven't done a great job of listening to my body and I, I push it or, or I don't notice that anything is different. And then I get out and it's like, holy moly, I am cold. And, and I'm cold for more than just a few minutes afterwards. Like I, I you know, it's like, gosh, I must've gotten hyperthermia or at least a little bit. And, uh, and in which case I'll, I'll do something very specific about it. You know, I'll go out and do some horse stance and some breathing and uh, just you know, maybe walk around to warm up. But um, really for the most part, I dry off and get dressed and just go at it. Um, Under, understood. And yeah. what of, of the people who you help build cold plungers, I'm just, yeah. again, on the same vein, how many would you say are building a plunge who have already built a sauna or a steam, you know, who incorporate um, this as part of a dual mode Type thing. Right. Uh, that's a good question. And I, in terms of a percentage, if I would have to just make up something on the spot, I would say probably 30%, maybe 20% somewhere in there. Um, you know, uh, it's actually on my uh, short list within the next six to 12 months to get a sauna. And, uh, you know, after doing that podcast with Glenn, he kind of opened up my eyes to the benefits of that. And, uh, you know, certainly Dr. Rhonda Patrick reading her information on uh, cold shock, it was like you learn about the heat shock. And it's like, ooh, this is really important as well. And so I think that contrast therapy going back and forth is, is an awesome modality. And, um, you know, again, it just kind of depends on what you're using it for, but, uh, you know, how you go about it. There's a lot of different protocols, but uh, I think the heat, the heat is important. Absolutely. Well, and just, again, if my quick take, I'm very fortunate to have a sauna and a steam room, uh, you know, next to my cold plunge, but the having the both is so interesting because there's such wildly different effects based on protocol. I'll sometimes, you know, go cold plunge straight, you know, for body temperature, then end in sauna, then leave. I'll go cold plunge, sauna, cold plunge, then leave. And I feel different. Like every combination is like a different, you know, a different feeling. Um, yes. Or, or thereabouts. So I, uh, I certainly, again, encourage that. Um, as somebody who hasn't built one myself, I know it's not easy. But if, uh, if you're able to, it's, it's, it's very interesting. It adds another layer for sure. Right. It's also on my short list, uh, John. So yeah, hopefully, hopefully in the next six months, I could tell you about it. Apparently, the biggest fee is the the cedar, uh, right? Yeah, or the, um, or the yeah the cedar, and then I think second would be the stove. If you're going for the traditional Finnish type sauna, um, mm -hmm. yep, that's uh, that's what I'm looking to do. So awesome. I think that this is probably a really good Nick, unless you have. Uh, any other questions to wrap up? I think that this could not have went any better. And John, between you and I, uh, you and us, uh, you are our first, uh, we, you are the first person we've been able to interview. So uh, we're super thrilled that we are obviously thrilled to have you and this could not have went any better. Absolutely. Well, awesome. And we, yeah. we, we hit all the questions that I had. I just wanted to say, John, if you go ahead, plug away the, the Facebook group, the book, how do people you know get a hold of your content and, and get wrapped right. up in your world? 
Yeah, thank you. I uh, appreciate that. And it's been awesome talking to you guys. Uh, I think we could do this for, we could probably go longer, and I know we've got a time frame, though. So, um, yeah, so people, where the best, easiest way to find me would be on my website, and that website is Chest freezercoldplunge.com and uh, there's an FAQ on there that links to my, um, my YouTube channel uh, you can find the links on there for my Facebook page and uh, to my book everything is all on there so that would be a great place to start there's a lot of resources on there fantastic um, ladies and gentlemen I, I cannot as someone who has done this and went by this line by line I don't think that there's <laughs> a better tutorial i don't think there's a better how-to book um i just bought one for the sauna so you know we'll find out but i mean the effort that you put into this it really shows the detail uh, again i cannot say enough good things about it from the pictures from page 111 where you actually show the entire setup um we'll put the uh, we'll be able to put some description notes in that and uh, other than that john thank you for taking the time yeah, you're welcome. You guys have an awesome night and uh, appreciate you.